You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And just like that, we're back. I'm Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is probably Thursday morning where you're listening to me. It is late, late Wednesday night slash very early Thursday morning as I'm recording this. As I told you two or three weeks ago, forget where it was now. Everything kind of runs together. I told you I had to stop recording these things in the morning because my mom said I sounded, and I quote, sickly. Not sick, sickly, which is probably worse. Sickly is kind of like a lifestyle. Sick is something you get over in 48, 72 hours, chug some NyQuil, you're good to go. However, we don't want to sound sickly. I already got enough problems. I can't add sickly to the list. So here we are. We're recording in the dead of night. I'm down in Georgia. I am not in Nashville this week. You know, I really just thought the Braves needed me to be in the state. As it turns out, they were massacred today. It was an ugly, ugly day. So I'm going to put that in the rear view. We're not talking baseball here. We've got to talk some college football. Wall-to-wall Q&A. You guys have flooded the inbox. We talk about pretty much whatever you want to. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. Also on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. You guys are following me at a pretty impressive clip. Uh, Continue to do that. And here's what's most important. Word of mouth. As you can tell, we don't have an advertising budget for this show, nor do we need one, as it turns out. Because as much as... You know, we can kind of game the algorithm, so to speak, and we can get our videos suggested and whatnot. That pales in comparison to what it means when you email me and you just say, hey, man, I tell my buddies about the show. Hey, man, like at work, we listen to it in the office. That is really how you grow a podcast. That's how you grow a YouTube show. That's how I'd prefer to do it. It's organic. It's grassroots. Plus, it's people listening to you and watching you because they actually are drawn to it rather than having it shoved in their face by some marketing agency. I've had that happen to me. You have it happen to you. That's not appealing. So thank you guys. When you tell me that, thank you. You tell me how you listen to the show, and there is a spectrum of ways you guys listen. I love it anyway. Thank you for that. So let's dive right in this morning. Now, I wanted to do something very fun. I got a squeaky chair, by the way, in case you hear that. You hear that? Maybe? Maybe not. Okay. I wanted to do something fun this morning. I asked for five-star reviews, so please give those to us. We're at 762 right now on Apple Podcast, five-star reviews. Here's what I wanted to do. Sometimes we get one-star reviews, and that's okay. If, if I do a terrible show, go ahead and give me a one-star review. I'm not asking for it, but hey, sometimes maybe it's deserved. I certainly wouldn't rate myself five stars every day, that's for sure. But we got a one-star review from TNVols07. I wanted to just quickly read you what a one-star review is like. The five-star reviews are very well written. They're grammatically sound. They're full of thoughtful feedback. Here, friends, is a one-star review. I can hear, H-E-R-E, I can hear the Tennessee hate in your voice. Keep running your mouth, but remember, hell is coming to Athens, Georgia, and it's wearing orange and expletive white. You make me sick pretending the way you do that you're, Y-O-U-R, 100% of the time, Y-O-U-R, not being biased. And you should call this what it is, a Georgia dog podcast. Go Big Dang Orange. I know what you're doing. The 99% of rational Tennessee fans who are listening right now, I know what you're doing. You're cringing. You don't have to cringe. 
we all understand how this works. We all understand what the minority radical fringe of any fan base or just any sect of society includes. It's it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Uh, you guys would go uh, much further in castigating that portion of your fan base away than I ever could. So just understand. I was reading that for fun. I don't view you guys like that. I love Tennessee. I do love Tennessee. But here's the other thing. I love Georgia. I love Bama. I love Auburn. You got to understand something. It would be beyond stupid for me to have any sort of bias, aside from the bias that includes rooting for everyone to win. When teams don't win, guys, that means the fan base and the listening audience for that program shrinks. The diehards are still there, but the ones who could take it or leave it, they're gone once you've lost two or three games. Why would I ever want that? Why would anyone in my business ever want that? So if you ever want to know what my rooting interest is, outside of Iowa State, obviously, I want every one of you to win. Bama, Georgia, play Saturday. I want both of them to win. To date, that has never happened, but I'd love both of them to win. All right, so with that out of the way, let's dive into the real questions, because you guys have some good ones this morning. Go Vols 12, uh, G-E-A-U-X, Go Vols 12, starts us off. He said, if I'm a genie and I make you athletic director at a major power five and I could guarantee you a national title for X number of dollars, what do you think the proper price tag would be to pay for a title? And would it mean more for a place like, say, Georgia over maybe Alabama because Georgia hasn't won one lately? This is such a good question. So I had a number in my head. The number was $20 million. I'd pay $20 million minimum for a national championship. And then we'd kind of start negotiating. You could talk me up on this. You would not talk me down on it, though. Think about what a national title would do. At Alabama, I wouldn't pay $20 bucks for another national title. But the novelty aspect alone of, of, of your first national title... What would it mean for Georgia? So gates and merchandise explode exponentially. Well, not quite exponentially, but they would explode big time. Donor giving. This is such a big deal. They don't hurt for money at Georgia. Uh, and Kirby Smart's already come in there, and he has had a big impact on that. Not like a title would mean, though. So you have that. Also, you could reasonably expect a 20% revenue increase over a two-year span. I did some digging on that, and it's pretty reasonable that 20% is what Georgia could expect in the next year's revenue versus the year before the title year's revenue. 20% increase there for Georgia. I mean, alone, that's worth north of $10 million, and that's just immediate. That's in one year. You're getting that. But consider the longer-lasting impact. Do you know what a national title does for branding? And I'm not just talking about that G logo on the side of a Georgia football helmet. No, I'm just talking about the G logo, period. The university, the marketing. I mean, what, what it does for your national recruiting efforts, not just football, but the university's recruiting efforts. If you ever want to go down a rabbit hole, and one day in the off season, I think it'd be a good deal to kind of do a segment on this. If you could understand, and I don't think anyone has put a properly quantified number on this. If you could understand the impact that Alabama hiring Nick Saban, now this is extreme, but them hiring Nick Saban has had on Alabama, you could argue the dude's probably one of the most underpaid employees in America. It is fascinating. It extends so far beyond football. So for that reason, I'd easily go 20 million. You could probably put together a reasoned argument that would bump it up to 30 or 40 million, and I would not be shocked about that at all. Coleman does not have a question for us, but we are a very tight-knit community here at Late Kick. Got to come up with a nickname for listeners. My idea was just Late Kick Crew. 
very easily hashtagable. If you have better ideas, I'd love to hear them. But for lack of a better idea right now, in the interim, Late Kick crew member Coleman says, I have a huge weekend ahead. I'm getting married Friday. The Georgia-Bama game is Saturday. So I don't know if I'm prepared for the emotional roller coaster. I know I know, but the wedding was scheduled back when Georgia was just supposed to be playing Missouri this weekend. Pray for my emotions. Well, prayer sent, Coleman, first off. Secondly, congratulations, which I guess should have been firstly. But in any event, thirdly, let me tell you what was overlooked here. I think you deserve a lot of respect. And I don't know how this was handled. I don't know how the planning went. But I think you deserve a lot of respect for planning a Friday wedding. Because to me, people who plan Saturday weddings in the fall are the scourge of society. And I don't necessarily mean that in a euphemism. I mean, I have had friendships tested to their very limits by people who know what I do for a living. And if, if it's not even job related, they know what my passion is. And not only will they schedule weddings in the fall and expect me to take their wedding as seriously as they do, but they'll also ask me to be in the wedding. The 2011 Alabama LSU game, which was the game of the century, I was asked to be in that wedding. And I was asked to be in that wedding before we even knew the date. It was one of those planet 14 years in advance sort of deals. I backed out of the wedding. I backed out of it. Now, does that make me a bad person? Or does it make my buddy a bad person? Now, we've we've texted back and forth as recently as today. So things are okay. But, you know, there's a, there's a part way back in the back of his mind where maybe emotionally he hasn't healed. But it was the game of the century. And so there is a long, long list of Saturdays that you can schedule a wedding on. I don't think it makes you the worst person in the world to value a few fall Saturdays over someone else's wedding. Now, Coleman, this is your wedding. But even then... Someone, either you or someone associated with this entire operation, was cognizant enough of the fact that they don't need to be scheduling this thing on Saturday in the fall, that you're having a Friday wedding. I don't have a problem with Friday weddings. I don't have a problem with that at all. Lovely. Probably get gorgeous weather. It'll be a beautiful deal. And then you can watch your game on Saturday from, I don't know where you're going. Where are you going? The Bahamas? I mean, where I'm from, people just go up to Pine Mountain, Mountaintop Inn. And that's a that's a really nice honeymoon destination, <laughs> like 10 minutes up the road in Harris County. I grew up in a different world than a lot of you did. But where, whether you're going to the Bahamas or whether you're going to Mountaintop Inn in Pine Mountain, Georgia, whether you're getting this thing catered by a five-star restaurant or the Chevron off Highway 315 on I-185 in Harris County, Georgia, whatever the case may be, doing it on Friday is A-OK -okay in my book. Go dogs, roll tide, whatever the case may be the next day. Cole is next up. He says, Josh, I'm from Phoenix City, Alabama, which is just across the river. I just wanted to let you know I love the show, but I got to ask, if Georgia does win that game Saturday with Nick Saban's circumstance, should it affect the record of Saban versus former assistants? Now, this is obviously referring to Nick Saban testing positive for COVID. I, you would have thought I would have led with that, but everyone else is leading with that. We all know what the deal is. It's not like there's any new information this morning. I'll talk about it on Late Kick Live tonight. It's a really big deal. Don't get me wrong. Cole, I don't know what the answer to this question is. So the, the question basically is, Nick, if Nick Saban's not on the sideline, if he's not allowed to coach Saturday, then this 20-0, is it 20-0, 21-0, something like that, his, his undefeated record against his former assistants, Kirby Smart being one of them, is that affected? I almost think this is a good poll question. I don't know that there's a definitive answer here. I, I, I don't even know what the record keeping would be on this. 
do you think it should be? I may run this on Twitter later today. Do you think it should be impacted? Uh, I would lean yes, maybe. But this is one of those you could, kind of like with the revenue deal earlier and what would you pay for a title, you could easily talk me over into the no category. This is certainly not a hill I would choose to die on either way. Zach, next up. I was wondering, what do teams like LSU, Auburn, Florida, etc. need to do to be on that Bama level and have constant success at the highest levels? Well, I would look at Georgia. We didn't mention Georgia there, obviously, because they've kind of pulled on par with Alabama from a roster standpoint. Here's what you have to have, Zach. I'm a big fan of freight trains. Freight trains are so metaphorical to life. My dad asked me one time, he'll probably hear this. My dad asked me one time, why are you so fascinated with trains? Why don't you get fascinated with something that a normal person would be fascinating with? Go take up fly fishing. And I said, listen, fly fishing's great. I think A River Runs Through It has the best movie poster in history because it has fly fishing on it. It's glorious. But the reason I love trains is because they're so metaphorical to life and people. You may laugh at this, but I'm dead serious when I say this. Think about sitting at a crossing. Most of you are probably looking at your phone instead of watching the train go by. Shame on you. Beautiful graffiti art on those cars. People have put countless hours of hard work and spray paint into that. You should be appreciating that. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you watch a mixed freight come through and you just look at all these random cars on there, think about how metaphorical that is to sitting, let's say, in a shopping mall in a food court back when you could do such things. When I watch one of those trains go by, it's the only time in my life I will ever probably see any of those train cars, and certainly in the order that they're in and the collection that they're in. I don't know what's inside of them. I don't know where that train's come from. I don't know where it's going. People are the exact same way. If I were sitting in the aforementioned food court, I've always been fascinated by what's inside of people. You know, what's their story? Where have they come from? Where are they going? What's in their mind right now? And obviously, you don't have the power to know that unless you really dive in. Now, in the freight train's case, that's called a felony. But in real world, that's just called getting to know people. But you don't know. You don't know where they come from. You don't know where they're going. You don't know what's in their mind. That is metaphorical to a freight train. Now, this sounds like nerd alert city. And it is. And I acknowledge that. But this is the way my mind works. Sometimes it benefits me. Other times it can sound like a freak show. And I don't know where this falls necessarily on that spectrum. Hopefully somewhere in the middle. We can live with that. But anyway... As it pertains to the question that was just asked, I've never gotten so badly sidetracked in my life. What I was going to say about trains is what it takes to be successful in terms of a program is when you look at a train, another metaphor now, everything's moving the same direction. Like all the cars, there are a lot of different cars. It could be 100, 200 cars, but they're all moving the same speed and they're moving the same direction and they have the same destination they're headed towards. That has to be your athletic department. It extends even beyond the football program. It has to be a singular vision. When you watch racehorses, they're all running next to each other, but they can't see each other. They have blinders on. They're just focused on where they're going. That has to be the collective mentality of your football program. Because there are a lot of programs out there. You can use Texas right now, for example, and have been able to use them for a while. They, they don't lack in the ability to recruit. They got all the money in the world. They got great facilities. That is not all it takes to win. If it was, then Texas would be racking up national championships. What you have to have is that collective mentality of freight train moving in the same direction. And if there are people or forces inside your operation that are trying to pull a little bit different way, you got to get rid of them. 
LSU did this when Scott Woodward came in down there as athletic director. They did it at Alabama when Saban came in as new head coach. You find out who's in this thing for the betterment of that brand, that Longhorn brand, that script A, that LSU brand, and who's in it for themselves. Who's willing to accept mediocrity in exchange for having a little more stroke and influence around here? You got to get those folks out of there. That's easy for me to say behind this microphone. Sometimes you know what it involves? It involves having to tell someone who donates to the tune of seven figures per year, your check's no longer needed here. Goodbye. But you got to do that. And that's long before you ever figure out what offense you're going to run. You're going to run a three-man front or a four-man front. Boy, those are like cherries on top in relation to the bigger picture issues we're talking about here. But once you get that stuff figured out, then and only then can you start to talk about ever competing against the likes of Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. It is so, so hard. That's why I have such immense amounts of respect for the programs that not just win a title, but that are able to sustain that over a long period of time. Doesn't really take long to read that entire list. Next up is Caleb, who hit me on Twitter earlier tonight. I said, you know what? I'll just address this on the podcast. He said, how did you start working for 24-7? And do you have a degree or is it the media where they just look out for talent? Well, it's a little bit of the above, Caleb. My story is pretty unique. Uh, My story is certainly not a classical one. I've run through it before. I'll run through it quickly again. I was in my early to mid-20s, but even in high school, I kind of knew I wanted to be in broadcasting. I had no clue how to go about it. I had no family members, no friends who were in that business. You know, my my closest correspondence to people in the television industry would be occasionally talking to some of our local meteorologists on Facebook Messenger. Always been a weather nerd and a sports nerd too, but I'd talk about weather more with them. So I used to just film myself. I'd go over to the college here, Columbus State University, where I ended up graduating from, and I would I'd just ask if I could have some studio time to just film shows. Some of that footage is out there still today. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Maybe I'll show it to you one day. But I just wanted to have stuff on... They call it a reel. I needed a reel. Eventually, I got in touch with the program director at the ESPN radio affiliate there in Columbus, Bobby Z, now in Wisconsin, really influential in my career. And he kind of let me sit in the studio sometimes. Eventually, someone gets sick. I find my way on air. That turned into an opportunity to do my own show on TV. That turned into a full-time sports director position. That turned into a news anchor position. That turned into being able to leverage the right people at the TV station to use their facilities to produce my own show, which was called Late Kick. And that is how Shannon Terry and the guys at 24-7 saw me, got a call from him one day, famously let it go to voicemail, thought he was a telemarketer, and realized about five seconds into the voicemail, nah, probably need to call this guy back. And here I am, been here since January. But let me tell you, it is great to have an education. It is great to have a degree. That degree is not worth the paper it's printed on if you don't offer something valuable, if you don't offer something unique. It's great to draw inspiration from people in the business. It's great if you have a podcast or a show that you watch or listen to every day. It's great that you're influenced by that and you pick up little techniques here and there. But I caution you, do not be modeling yourself after something out there that already exists. Because if it already exists, then by default, you are not unique. You have to develop your own style. You have to understand where the intersection lies between your passion and what your talents are. And if your talents are in the spoken medium, for example, like I'm doing right now, well, then you got a wide open door. Find out what it is you want to talk about. If it's politics, if it's sports, if it's college football, if it's ice skating, and then just create yourself. Create a brand for yourself. This is a new digital world. 
You do not have to, like you had in 1985, you did not have to have access to a major television executive who is going to grant you the opportunity to be on air in television or radio. If you got a cell phone, you got an opportunity. It's called the internet and it's free for everyone. It's called YouTube. It's free for everyone. Just start getting reps in. Tens of thousands of reps. Talk to yourself in your car when you're driving around if you have to. That's how I did it. That's how I got myself prepared to be on radio before I ever was on radio. I just talked to myself in my truck. I'd listen to ESPN radio. I'd mute it on the fly and pick up where that host had left off. That's how I prepared myself. I shot footage of myself. I recorded shows for myself when I was not broadcasting the shows anywhere. But I had something to show someone. And I had something to let someone listen to. And I was ready when the opportunity came. You don't wait till that opportunity comes to get yourself ready. You may only get one of them. I was fortunate to get a few, but there is no guarantee. But I can tell you, if you keep yourself in the right place, the right time will eventually find you. Don't listen to all that right place, right time garbage. Just put yourself in the right place and park yourself there. Commit yourself to a process. Keep doing the right things. I don't care if nine times out of ten it doesn't work out. You only need one. That's all you need. So get yourself reps. Get yourself a style that is unique to you. Understand what your strengths are. Understand what your limitations are. Play to your strengths. Understand who your audience is. If you've listened to this podcast or watched Late Kick Live for any length of time, I don't talk at anyone. I don't talk at you. I talk with you. The entire philosophy behind anything I do under the brand, under the umbrella Late Kick, is you and I are essentially sitting at a lunch table. You're, I'm, not, I'm not talking at you. I'm not using some different set of verbiage. I'm not using some different tone than I would. This is how I talk normally. This is how I would talk to you if we were at lunch. Why would it be any different? Why would it be any different? It's just conversation. We're not, we're not working for NASA. We're not solving nuclear equations. We're talking about you know whether Texas A&M is going to cover Saturday. This is fun stuff. It's not serious. So understand who your audience is. And if you're authentic and you're real with them, they'll be loyal. To the ends of the earth, they will be loyal. I know that because you guys are with me, and there's, there's things I listen to, there are things I watch, and I feel the same way towards those brands. It's authenticity. Have authenticity. Have uniqueness. If you have those things, they're valued far more than any piece of paper that says you sat in classrooms for four years, because that stuff's teachable. People in positions to hire you, they want you to have the things that aren't teachable. They want you to have talent, they want you to have uniqueness, and they want you to be real. If you have that authenticity, then they know if they harness you the right way, they can make money off you. All right, next up, back to football we go. A lot of you asked about Florida's defense. I mean, a lot of you. Like, uh, I think I had 20 or so of you ask questions about Florida's defense. So here is your collective answer. It's not good. It's not good right now. They were going to play LSU Saturday, and I don't know which defensive coordinator was looking forward to that less, but that's on pause right now. I think that the problem that Florida has and what bothers you the most if you're a Florida fan is the same thing that's bothering Alabama fans right now. If you had, for example, let's say a safety or let's say a corner, say one of your corners kept getting burned and that was really what was costing you an inordinate amount of yardage and inordinate amount of being burned on third downs, but if that were the case but your pass rush was still there and your run defense was still pretty rock solid on the interior and your linebackers were gap sound and all of these things were in place. It was just you you had a liability at corner. You'd be okay with that 
Not in a sense that you love to watch your guy get burned, but you would know, all right, that's one piece. It's very easily identifiable. But that's not the case with Florida and Alabama. What you've seen so far is the problems start right there in the middle. I'm watching Florida. I'm watching Alabama. They're not consistently harassing quarterbacks, but yet they also can't stop the run on a consistent basis. So you figure to have one or the other. And the problem there is that's not a one-man deal. At corner, you could just say, let's get a transfer in here. Or, you know, let's just bring one of our younger guys off the bench. Let's see what we have there. It could be that that problem is that easily rectified. When you can't stop the run or when you cannot get pressure on a quarterback, that's a much bigger issue. That's the issue we've seen, albeit a smaller sample size, but that's what we've seen so far from Florida. That's what we've seen so far from Alabama. So I'm interested in this. Normally you would think uh, you just are who you are. I'm really interested because some of these programs previously have been known for defense. So I'm wondering if we get some retrospect to look at this, and I wonder if we're going to see some common themes, and I wonder if we're going to hear some feedback that explains a lot of this. Because right now what you're seeing in some ways, defies explanation. So to be continued with Florida. Harry, up next, what is up with the latest AP rankings? I personally don't get how Ohio State is sixth. Let's be real here. Ohio State would be a double-digit favorite against Notre Dame and North Carolina. Why are they ranked ahead of the Buckeyes? Is it because Ohio State hasn't played a game? If so, why rank them at all? Harry, all of these questions are excellent. All these points are excellent. It's why I have not looked at the AP this year until this week. I kid you not. Every Sunday when I walk in the studio, Colin is there putting the show together for Late Kick Live, and he has a comment about the AP. Did you see where this team was ranked? Uh, Tennessee fell to this spot this week. And it's always news to me because I have not cared about the AP for a long time. I care about where I have teams power rated. And, you know, if I have another buddy, like if Bud Elliott were to talk to me about where he has North Carolina power rated, I'd love to compare my rankings to his. I couldn't care less about the AP. Really couldn't care less about it. And the reasons I think are obvious. The reasons many of which you pointed out are obvious. So when you guys ask me questions about the AP, it almost takes me by surprise because I didn't even know that this was a reality. I didn't even know North Carolina was ahead of Ohio State. That's the God's honest truth. I did not know that. So yeah, it sounds pretty ridiculous because you asked a good question. Like, what are you doing with Ohio State? They're either one of the top two or three teams or they're just not ranked. You get them ranked sixth? What in the world is that? And um, the other part of that is you're dead on the money, right? And that's how I power rate teams because you're right. If I would have a team, if I would have a team favored over another team, then the favored team's going to be higher in the power ratings. I'm not always saying that's the way playoffs should work. I'm not saying that. But there's a difference between ranking, I guess, and power rating these days. I would venture to guess as soon as they start the Big Ten season, this is going to change. All right, next up is, nice little pop there. I'm sure Jordan will love that in post-production. Chris is next up. Chris said, have you heard anything from your sources on if Kirby Smart is letting Todd Munkin do his thing? Todd Munkin is the new offensive coordinator at Georgia. I ask this because it almost seems like during the games, you see some of Kirby's style offense mixed in with Monk and stuff. I spent a lot of time in the offseason reading a lot about Todd Monk and style and system, and he was more of a pass-first guy at all his stops. I have no data to back this up, but it seems like Georgia is a run-first team, and that kind of leads me to believe Kirby is still handcuffing the offense. I wouldn't say he's handcuffing the offense, Chris. I'd just say the offense is being run under his team philosophy, and I think it would be 
very foolish to do anything otherwise. Not to mention, even if they did intend to air raid everything, which I don't think was ever the case, but even if they did have those intentions, those went out the window once quarterbacks started going out the window. Right now, you are working with a guy. Let me put this in plain terms as I can put it in. They are working with a guy at quarterback right now that a month and a half ago, they did not think had a spot on their team as a quarterback. They told him that. That is what was told to Stetson Bennett. He is now starting at quarterback for them. So look at the strengths of your team. What would you do? How would you run things? I don't think it's handcuffing anyone at all. I just think this is the style. I don't think Todd Munkin was brought in under any illusions that it was going to be one way. And then all of a sudden the rug got pulled out from under him. I think he understands the deal. I think Kirby Smart understands the deal. And let me tell you, you can... You can call it handcuffing if you want to, but I will say this. If I had that defense, I'd do things the same way, especially as I'm trying to ease Stetson Bennett into things and I'm trying to buy time until maybe JT Daniels is ready, which gives me a lot better arm talent at the quarterback spot. It opens up a lot more of maybe a vertical passing threat. But until then, I just have echoes of that South Carolina game in the back of my mind. Think about Stetson Bennett. Watch this on Saturday with Alabama. Stetson Bennett is not very tall. Now, so far, that hasn't mattered at all. He's very good at extending plays on third down. Like, he can do a lot of good things. Here's all it takes, though. All it takes is you deciding you're going to pass the ball a little bit more. And all it takes is five foot eight, five foot nine, whatever he is, Stetson Bennett, trying to throw over a line of scrimmage battle in front of him and defensive linemen getting their hands up a couple of times and balls getting batted in the air a couple of times and falling into the wrong hands a couple of times and you all of a sudden being minus two turnovers, and that being the difference in a game. Then all of a sudden, guess what people are saying? What people are saying is, why are we even taking that risk? We got the defense we have. Look at, look at the fact that we lost the turnover battle, and we only lost the game by seven. If we had had the turnover battle even, we would have won. Well, that's the kind of stuff that fans can afford to say after a game. That's the kind of thing you have to think of before a game, proactively, if you're a head coach. Irish Politico is next up. Would Urban Meyer have any interest in Texas? Of course he would. Absolutely he would. I don't speak with any firsthand knowledge of this. I just speak with common sense. Absolutely he would. Now, uh, some of some of you also asked, do you have any information on this? Like, do you think anything's happening? I'm sure contact has been made. But understand how contact works in college football. No one ever just speaks directly to anyone. It's all done via back channel. This obviously grants you plausible deniability. It lets you sit there and say, oh, I haven't spoken to anyone directly. And also, it buys you the opportunity, if nothing is going to get done concrete style, it buys you the opportunity for the person you represent and your client to be able to say, there was never anything to that. You know, I never even had discussions with them. So if it doesn't work out, you can just rid yourself of any rumor. But I'm sure there is. But this is a very, very layered, detailed, intricate process. This is not like you asking, hey, do you want to sign up for PTA? Sign here. Do you want to buy Girl Scout cookies? It's just a yes or no. You either sign or I'm moving on to the next door. I'm casting a spell on your house as I do it. Those Girl Scouts, man. Never had to worry about it here. I was stocked up for a year when they stopped by. But Urban Meyer's not in the Girl Scouts, so what am I doing? So I would venture to think yes. Knowing Texas, knowing how they operate, yes. I'm sure that people who have sway at Texas have reached out to people who are in the Urban Meyer camp, if you will. And that's how that works. And basically, it's just, hey, would he entertain it? 
What do you think he'd want? What do you think he'd need? What would his biggest concerns be? What would his feedback be? What would need to change? What's his impression of the job? So that we can take these things back to Texas HQ and we can talk about it amongst ourselves, see what we can put together, and then we'll talk again next Tuesday. That's the kind of stuff I would imagine is probably going on. But I'll be honest, I'm sure there are other candidates they're doing that with too. And also, let's keep in mind, there's still a head coach at Texas who's got a contract. His name is Tom Herman. So for about 15 different reasons, got to be very careful with that. But yeah, I think he'd be interested. Certainly I do. I talked to Urban Meyer for about 25 minutes back in the spring, and we put a lot of it up on YouTube. I didn't get the sense that the passion had left that guy. I did not get the impression that his football days were behind him. Do you watch him when he does studio work for Fox? Do you watch him and think to yourself, well, there's a guy who's entered into the next chapter, next phase of his life? Because I don't. I really view it as temporary. I really think that he's got football left in him. We've got a really good question from Brandon. It's about one team, but it could just as soon be about 10 or 15 different teams. And that is, is it time to panic yet? I'm going to answer that question about Brandon's program, and I may just answer it about yours too, right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So Brandon asked, how worried should I be about Auburn's future, given what I saw Saturday? And what he saw was them lose to Arkansas, but still be the winner on the scoreboard. A lot of you have argued about that with me. If you didn't see the ending of that game, it was wild. I think Arkansas was screwed out of a win. But at the very least, even if you consider that Auburn or Arkansas didn't get screwed, Auburn should have won. It was a very narrow win as a double-digit favorite in a game that is one of few in the preseason that you looked at and said, all right, there's one we can chalk up as a win. So now they go to South Carolina, for instance, this Saturday. They are about a field goal favorite, three to three and a half point favorite. I mean, that's that's a tight line on a game that you probably thought you would be favored by double-digit style in preseason. I don't ever know if that was the case, but maybe you thought that. Brandon, I'd be worried. I'd be concerned only because I just don't know what the direction is Auburn's headed. I don't know. And here's the other somewhat troubling aspect. Defense was not going to carry them forever. One of the wildest things about Auburn, it's so detached from what reality normally is. One of the wildest things about Auburn for a while 
is that the identity of the program has not reflected the identity of the head coach. Malzahn's an offensive guy. They've been winning with defense. And that's after they exploded on everyone in 2013 and 2014. And ever since then, you've had this sort of offensive production regression. You've had the inability to develop a quarterback in-house. And as a result, Kevin Steele comes along and has been the most underrated, not undercompensated, but underrated hire at the coordinator spot of any of the major teams over the last several years. Kevin Steele has carried the water for Auburn in many situations where their offense couldn't get it done. They've been a contender in the SEC, largely because of defense. But now you lose guys like Marlon Davidson, Derek Brown, and they've lost K.J. Britt, who is their quarterback of the defense for the season now. A lot of attrition there. All of a sudden, Auburn's not elite defensively anymore. And there's no reason to look at their offense and think that there's anything about to click there. They're just kind of a faceless team right now. They're kind of an identityless team. And if that's the case... It's not the second year under Malzahn. There's not a whole lot of staff overturn and staff churn there. I mean, you got a new coordinator, but the bottom line is the infrastructure just remains in place. That shouldn't be something you're saying about a program that is seven or eight years or whatever it is into a head coach's tenure. So I'd be mildly concerned if I were you, Brandon. I don't think that's radical to say at all. Go Blue 12 said, when you talk about Jack Cohn, you reference him feeling like a seventh-year starter. Really, he's only been starting fairly recently. Do you just feel like he's maxed out his potential? So we're talking about Wisconsin's quarterback here, who has since been ruled out for, I think it's the year? At the very least, it's the beginning. And Graham Mertz is going to start there for Wisconsin. Yeah, it's funny how that works. I don't know if you guys have this, but sometimes there are guys like Tua Tonga-Vailoa, who I feel like he was at Alabama 15 minutes. And then Jack Cohn, I feel like he's been at Wisconsin forever. But you're right. He's not a four-year starter or anything like that. I don't know how that works. Um, and I and, and Deep Blue Sea, the hit blockbuster Deep Blue Sea, Ice Cube explained in his own unique way the theory of relativity. It's just the theory of college football relativity. Some guys feel like they've been around forever. Some guys feel like they just walked in the door and they walked out. Well, Jack Cohn kind of feels like that to me. But yes, to answer your question, he's a guy when I've watched him, I just kind of feel like he is who he is. And who he is is a good, solid quarterback. Now, don't complain when you have that. A lot of programs out there would love to have that in lieu of what they currently have. You don't think Auburn, since we just talked about the Tigers, you don't think they would settle for good, solid quarterback play right now instead of wildly inconsistent play? You don't think Tennessee would love some good, solid quarterback play? A lot of places love it instead of the inconsistency. But when I say he is who he is, It all depends on what your standard for Wisconsin is. Like if you're looking to break through the next level, and there's only about one or two more levels to break through for them, I just don't know if if Cone's that guy that gets you there. I don't know that Graham Mertz is either, but when I know that, or I think I know, that a program's already kind of scratched the ceiling, I'm interested to invest my attention into the unknown. Maybe a little bit higher risk, but also maybe a little bit higher reward there with uh, Graham Mertz. Champ is next up. You've mentioned Tennessee building in an old school way, while teams like Alabama have shifted away from that. Is that the style that could be successful, or could this just be a path that eventually leads Tennessee to what Alabama is doing? Now, this is pretty interesting. This is a different twist on this question I haven't heard anyone ask. So what he's saying is, you know, Pruitt came up at Alabama, but that's when they did things an old school way, and now Nick Saban's totally altered his offensive philosophy and therefore his overall team philosophy while Jeremy Pruitt 
is installing something at Tennessee that looks a lot more like Alabama did a decade ago. Now, I think that's the way Pruitt has done it by design, obviously. It's not an accident. They're building that way. But what Champ asked is, could they be going through the same progression that Saban at Alabama did? Let's build it this way. Let's build a rock-solid foundation, and then we'll tweak things philosophically once we have that rock-solid foundation, in, and eventually we'll overhaul our offense into something that's a lot more modernized, a lot more cutting-edge. Champ, I don't think that's the worst theory in the world, but I also don't know where Jeremy Pruitt stands on that. It's my personal feeling that Pruitt's looked around and he said, I can go one of two ways. I can try and catch up to programs I'm already years behind on and try and build an offense and therefore build an overall team like they have. Or I can look around and I can try and give myself an edge by doing something different than what everyone else is doing. Now, in the SEC, a generation ago, that used to mean running a bunch of wide open spread concepts. But now everyone does it. So now what's radical is doing things the way that they used to do it, but hardly anyone does it anymore. I think that's what Pruitt has thought to himself, gives himself the best chance of success at Tennessee. Now, whether it does or not, I think that will impact going forward if he either feels like he needs to make radical offensive changes or if he is told you better make radical offensive changes or else we'll get someone else in here. I think we're a long way from that either way. All right, good solid 40 minutes this morning. Uh, remember, Late Kick Live comes on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel tonight. And every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night, we'll be talking about, obviously, a lot more on the Bama and Georgia stuff. We're going to do some more game previews. We've got a lot of game previews left to do tonight. So make sure you tune in there. Five-star reviews are very much appreciated here, especially if you know we're talking about you using Apple Podcast in the rare event that it works this week. Again, problems at Apple. Not our problems. They're problems on Apple's end. So take it up with them, not us. But thank you anyway for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about it. Please continue to do so. And hit me back with questions for episodes that we'll do next week. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. For Jordan and Tani on the podcast side of things, on the editing side of things, I'm Josh Pate. All they make me do is talk and then send it off. And so I've talked. I'm going to send it off now. Have a great weekend, guys. God bless. God bless.